Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome to episode 47 of the No Look Past podcast presented to you by WRSPN.com. We want to thank you for tuning in. You could be listening to anything in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. I'm your host, Fran Santos, who would like to say if you like candy corn, just turn the show off right now. Get out of my life. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't need you to listen. And I got my co-host with me, Andy Flint, so I'm always good. As a fellow candy corn hater, I share the sentiment, Frank. Okay, so I'm glad that I was – because I was going to ask you that. So we're on the same page here, that candy corn is just atrocious. It shouldn't even be allowed on earth. Oh, it's disgusting. Yeah, absolutely. So we are going to get into our positional drafts. As you know, if you've been following the podcast, we every year Andy and I draft 1 through 30 each position. We are finally at the end. We are down to centers. If you want to, the previous four episodes have been power forward, small forward, shooting guards, and point guards in that order if you uh, don't catch the drift. Uh, basically, what we do, it's our creative way of doing rankings. Andy and I, like I said, we draft them 1 through 30. We've been doing this for four years now. This is the second year we brought it on the podcast. So what we do is we're going to go 30 through 16, and all the odd number picks are mine. All the even number picks are Andy's. And then 30 through 16, we're going to pause, talk about a couple of guys that we wanted to pinpoint. 15 through 6, do the same thing, and then we'll discuss the top five. Andy, you ready? We're, we're, we're done for the, another year. another year down. I'm Kobe Bryant ready. <laughs> Number 30, Willie Cauley-Stein. 29, Tyson Chandler. 28, Alex Len, a couple teammates. 27, Al Jefferson. 26, Gorgie Jang. 25, Mason Plumley. 24, Clint Capella. 23, Tristan Thompson. 22, Miles Turner, who we will be talking about. 21, Zaza Pachulia. 20, Bismack Biombo. 19, Joe Kim Noah. 18, Andrew Bogut. 17, Nikola Djokic, which I believe got a whoa from Andy when I picked him. And 16, Robin Lopez. All right, let's go back up the list here. Uh, first of all, I want to shout out a couple of guys that were mainstays in the top ten, I think, all three years that we've been doing this. Tyson Chandler and Al Jefferson. Uh, how the mighty have fallen. You're getting old. The league's transitioning, and you're out of it because of that. So, uh, Andy, let's, uh, let's go into Miles Turner here. What do you want to say about young Miles here? The young gun, man, Miles Turner. What What is there not to like about Miles Turner? I mean, I like everything about him. I like the kid's smile. I mean, he is a golden phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, and, you know, before I get too carried away here, I mean, it's, it's everything. It's his personality. You see it on the, on the court. It's not necessarily him speaking. It's the body language, the, the wild hair. I love it. His, you know, he just – he always seems like he's having fun. The energy – the blocked shots. Can I get some more blocked shots? I, I think this kid has a bright future. Um, and, you know, selecting him down here at 22 is somewhere where I think he belongs because I was talking to you. I think this center's list gets a little bit crazy uh, past a certain point. So, you know, I just want to shout out the young fella. I'm a fan of his work, and I know you are too. Yeah, so the first thing I wanted to say is I was so glad that you took him because he was the guy on my list. You made me feel so much better where I was looking at my list before we started the draft, and I was like, I have Miles Turner way too high, because I had him at, like, 20. And I was like, there's no way that he should be up here at 20. And then you took him, and I was like, oh, Andy likes Miles Turner too, so I guess maybe he wasn't too high. I mean, (laughs) a couple people might say that the both of us are morons, and he is still too high. But, like, I think you you brought up a good point, you know, sort of about his game. I I would disagree about the hairstyle. I think that's the only thing you can really – hone in on is the, the mini Jimmy Butler hairstyle not working for me, Miles. you got to get your own look. Um, I'm curious to see where he fits into this new Pacers team, though. 
Um, I like the idea of having Thad Young around him, who knows nothing but one speed, and I hope that rubs off on Turner because I know you, you said you like his personality, but I always felt like he kind of could disappear in games sometimes, which is, you know, typical for a rookie. It's not like I'm expecting a rookie to be calling it to be found every time. Sometimes, you know, rookies hit the wall and, and things like that. So I'm not going to get too hard on him, but it is something I'm looking for him to approve. Um, I also think he has potential to add the three-pointer to his game. He took only 15 last year, Andy, but by far the most attempts he had were from 16 to the three-point line. That was 220 attempts last year. So he, he really works that mid-range game a, a lot, and I, I think he can get even further out there. Well, and I think, you know, you this era of big guys is starting to lean towards some of this. You know, you can get by with being an energy athlete or an energy athletic guy who – also can, you know, shoot that mid-range game or that mid-range jumper. So he's one of those interesting cases. He does need to hone his game. We need to see a little uh, polish to it, a little bit, not too much because we know that error is kind of dead. He can ask his teammate Al Jefferson, but a little bit. It would be nice to see the fundamentals because, you know, these these guys that are energy players, it can't last their entire career. You've eventually got to, you know, have a knack. Yeah, don't tell his teammate that young guy because I think that young has gotten by by all energy. Uh, and, like, his unorthodox post move. As a Net fan, I can say that I've never seen a player like Thad Young, and he's great to have on your team, but every time Thad Young takes a shot, you're like, oh, my God, that's not, there's no way that's going to go. Oh, and then it, it goes in, like, somehow, some way. It doesn't even look like – it looks like he just chucked it to the rim and didn't even have control of it. it, it it's crazy. Thad Young, shout out to you. Uh, so the next person we're going get, to get into is my boy, Joe Kim Noah, who – I've been on the, the Joe Kim Noah bandwagon, I think, longer than most people that I know. Uh, Andy can vouch for me. I thought he was the MVP a few years back. I, I was I was all about to debate that. Um, so I chose to talk about Joe Kim because I wanted him to know. I still have his back. He's going to be an instant fan favorite at Madison Square Garden. And I probably picked him about five spots too high. All man bum bias, judge your mother. Andy, what do you got on Joe Kim? You know what? I don't. I don't really have much to say for you because I had him at 19, and that's where we. That's where we ended up taking him. So, you know, I, I think again, there's a weird mixture of players in there, and I do think Noah always brings that energy, the heart, the hustle. But I'm starting to wonder on you know the other side of 30, and his injury concerns over the years. I wonder if that catches up with him. You know, we've always focused on, like, Derrick Rose in Chicago, but what people might not realize is Joe Kim Noah missed a lot of games in those stretches too. Um, yeah, you were all over. I've never been high on Joe Kim Noah, like, not crazy. Like, you know, I understand his game, and I, I've always seen how good he was, but I was quick to put people in check who would start overreacting, like, oh, Joe Kim Noah, man, he, he's, a point, he's a, a point center, you know, best best player in the league, that kind of And I was always <laughs> a little skeptical, you know. I, I just – even whether he was the best center, but, you know, Cross the old dog. Hopefully he can turn around here a little bit in New York and, and we see what these guys have because this is going to be an interesting team. Well, it's interesting that you bring up New York because I, I think you brought up a good point as well that Joe Kim Noah should thank Derrick Rose. Like the ultimate scapegoat for Joe Kim Noah was Derrick Rose being injured every year. Otherwise, people would have been talking about Joe Kim Noah being injured every year. But in saying that with his health, the, the New York Knicks have never quite been – the team that I think this is a good scenario for. It's not like they're they're not very good at like wise decisions, but they would be wise to limit Joe Kim Noah's minutes, limit his practices, things like that, like those next level things that really good teams do. And then you're like, oh, Joe Kim Noah's on the San Antonio Spurs and all of a sudden he's playing 70 games. How does that happen? Oh, I don't know. They have the best medical staff probably in the league. And then Greg Popovich knows when to stick guys, when to rest them, when they need, you know, when they need certain things. So I'm hoping 
hoping that the Knicks can really hone in on that because I'm hoping that Porzingis plays a lot of minutes at center and that will kind of limit Joe Kim Noah a little bit. So I'm, I'm hoping that's something that happens and we can get 65 games out of Joe Kim Noah um, at best, maybe at like 25 minutes a game. I would, I would love that because I think he'll do great things in New York if he does that. So Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's worth yeah, noting. I think it's worth noting that, you know, the Knicks probably aren't going to play the most up-tempo game ever. I think when you have like a – You have a broke-down athlete running the point guard. You have Melo, whose game's never been necessarily fast. I mean, he's got the old man thing. He'll beat you at the YMCA. So I think maybe something – you know, this fit for Noah maybe uh, and not having uh, – Old Tibbs is your coach playing him 65 minutes. Tibbs would be perfect, like, overseas in a sweat. I probably shouldn't talk about that kind of stuff, but you you get what I'm saying here. I do. I do definitely get what you're saying. We are going to move on 15 through 6. We got number 15, Marcin Gortat, 14, Ennis Cantor, 13, Brooke Lopez, 12, Nikola Vucevic, 11, Jordan Falanchunas, 10, Stephen Adams, 9, Rudy Gobert, 8, Mark Basal, seven, Al Horford, and six, Hassan Whiteside. Uh, first of all, I want to say that I'm proud of myself for getting over the Nikola Vucevic. Vucevic see, I messed it up. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have gone back. Nikola Vucevic and Jonas Valanciunas. I got that out without, without any errors, and even though I got an error when I tried repeating how I didn't have an error getting it out. But uh, really quick, I want to say that I was not at all surprised when you picked Ennis Kanter at, at 14, even though I had him at like 23, but I just know that you love Ennis Kanter, so it didn't shock me whatsoever. And we are going to get into Rudy Gobert, um, who is the guy I wanted to talk about at number nine. I'm still trying to cope with Andy ranking Dwight Howard above five guys, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. Um, but one of those guys included Gobert. Uh, I mean, a guy that's a double-double machine. Dwight's on the wrong side of 30. This guy does everything that Dwight Howard does now, but he does it better. In, in my opinion, he blocks shots better. He's a better rebounder. He probably has a more polished offensive game in, in the terms that you don't have to throw on the ball in the post, and he sort of knows what he's good at and, and just does that. Um, I think he might be a defensive player of the year candidate this year for sure. And I, I just I, – you need to justify Dwight Howard over him to me at some point. Maybe when we talk about top five, maybe you want to do it right now. Talk about Rudy Gobert. Jeez, I didn't realize we were going to be on trial for Dwight Howard here. This is like uh, <laughs> this, this went this went in a, a different direction. Let me well, let me first start by saying it, it does hurt my feelings. You remember the I rode in on the Rudy Gobert train last year, declaring he would make that that big jump that we see sometimes in the league. He was my guy. Your guy was actually Gordon Hayward, if I remember correctly. But it, it was. You, you know, I, I'm gonna. I'm going to tell you honestly, when I first did this list, Rudy Gobert was my fourth pick. He was, he was ranked fourth. Okay. And then I started doing this thing where I was putting three players at a time into a, conspira- uh, a comparison spread, and then I was digging so like far into these stats that I, I kind of lost my mind for probably about eight hours. And what happened was is it resulted me in changing my list, this top ten essentially, because it went all the way down to Steven Adams. And this happened like – I don't know, six times in a matter of probably three hours, like honestly three hours, six changes. So what I came up with is I initially had Dwight Howard way down the thing, but I'm looking at like Dwight Howard's numbers and I'm looking at what I see when I see Dwight Howard play basketball. And I, you know, 
I just feel like – and first of all, Gobert's offensive game is – that's the thing that's holding him back is there isn't an offensive game. He's probably the stiffest player I've ever seen. And I think <laughs> you get the experience and you're going to get the, the offensive game. Because Dwight Howard does it. Dwight Howard, you know, we've, we've spent so much time ignoring or hating on Dwight Howard the last few years that we failed to see that his offensive game has kind of expanded. And if you look at his numbers last year, which aren't half bad, and you think about the fact that he plays with a guy who never passes the ball, I think we're going to see a, a little bit of a reemergence of Dwight Howard this season. As where I think Gobert, hopefully he figures out the offensive thing a little bit, but I just still think he's kind of stuck in this in the spot, and I was putting uh, Stephen Adams into the same thing because so I didn't. I had Stephen Adams at one point up at six, and I think I don't know where we finished with him at at ten, something like that. But right. it, it's just one of those things. I, I don't. I was seeing. I feel like Adams and Gobert to me are the two most similar in that their offensive games make them nearly ineffective, like a hundred percent at certain points of the game. So. That, to me, is where I'm thinking, like, if that's Dwight Howard on the team when Russell Westbrook's coming around these screens and he's just dumping it off to Adams, who's eight feet from the basket and has no idea what to do with the ball, if that's Dwight Howard to me, that's two points. So I, just the things I think about. And none of them are peaches from the line. I mean, I was looking at a bunch of guys who, you know, Dwight Howard at one point was the best free throw shooter in a three-way player comparison, if you'll believe that. <laughs> so three-way player. That must have been it was Drummond Andre Drummond and Jordan. DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, right. As yeah. Dwight Howard, ding, he ding, probably ding. is the best rap. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so two things here. So for Rudy Gobert, I, I, I can kind of buy that argument in terms of Gobert having sort of like a stagnant season this season, in in being very good and being Rudy Gobert, but not really. Like we talked about Serge Ibaka last week, where he was like this person, this raw personality, and then you didn't know what else he was going to add, and then like three years in all of a sudden he just became like Serge Ibaka and that, that's just what he is. He is who he is. He hits the 18 footer and, and all that. I can see Rudy Gobert having a season like that this season where it's sort of, Oh, okay. He's got the double double. He's got the blocks, but the Utah jazz haven't really made a leap as a team. Rudy Gobert hasn't really made a leap as a player. And I can see why you might possibly want Dwight Howard over that player. I don't necessarily agree. Um, in terms of Steven Adams, I think the big question with Adams is whether the Steven Adams we saw in the playoffs is like a Bismack Biombo thing where it's just going to be something where it was just out of his mind and he's never going to do that again. Or did he figure something out where all of a sudden he has an offensive game, he has a touch? Because Steven Adams in the playoffs is better than Dwight Howard, period. Because like you're saying, his, his drawback was that he didn't have an offensive game. But somehow in the playoffs, he found an ability to have a post move, to really have good hands. So if he can do that, if that's who Stephen Adams is now, then I, I, I think your, your argument is null and void. But in saying that, I mean, we also saw a guy like Roy Hibbert one season have an amazing playoffs. And then all of a sudden, um, I don't know if you noticed this, but we're doing the top 30 center list. And Roy Hibbert's name not only was not on it, he was not even on my, like, list of people that I was considering for the end. And I'm going to assume Andy that Roy Hibbert's name didn't really appear anywhere in your deciding who the top 30 centers were. I had it. I typed it and I actually laughed when I typed that. I remember doing it. It was funny because I was just looking at depth <laughs> charts and I was like, Oh, I forgot about him. <laughs> remember so, Shaq said he was put the it in best. Perspective, yeah. To put it in perspective, my number 30 center was Timothy Mozgov and Roy Hibbert's not better than Timothy Mozgov. So I'm just saying that the playoffs can be a fluke. Steven Adams, look out for it. I don't think his was a fluke because I just don't. I just think he has a more all-around game than that. 
Um, so we are going to move on to the other guy we wanted to talk about, which was Mark Gasol. For me, it, it's it's really hard with Mark Gasol because this was a guy I, I would argue and have argued in the past is the best center in the game. And I thought going into last year that he was. I, I thought he was better than DeMarcus Cousins. I thought he was better than DeAndre Jordan, any of those guys, just because he has a more polished all-around game. But like Andy and I have discussed, these rankings are only for this season. It's, it, you're strictly saying who's going to be better in this upcoming season. And right now, it's really hard to bet on Mark Gasol. I mean, two out of the last three seasons, he hasn't played more than 60 games. I mean, granted, the season in between that, he played 81 out of 82, but I just don't know what I'm getting from Mark Gasol. I also don't know what I'm getting from his team in general. So it, it could be one of those things where the, the team around him isn't as good, and so they're not able to really he's – not, he's not able to do the things that he needed to do because he doesn't have the threats on the offensive end to really – that the defense has to respect. So I, I think that that could be a potential problem for him. And in that, I really couldn't – I couldn't justify him past. I think I had him a little higher than we took him at eight. Let's see where I had him. I had him at six. So I had him, you know, over Gobert and and Steven Adams. So I had him up there, but I couldn't justify him in my top five. Yeah, and you – and I actually had him at seven. Um, I had him above Al Horford. I actually – I had Al Horford down at at actually ten. I know you'll be thrilled. Yeah, you're, you're probably hating. you if, if if all you fans could see Frank's facial expression and probably the papers he threw across the room when I said yeah. that about Al Horford, you'll you'll understand eventually. But see, my thought process on Mark Gasol is this, and the reason I wanted to talk about him is for what you're saying is because Mark Gasol, arguably, you know, not only you know, arguably the best center, but arguably the best defensive player in the league. Um, and I, I think the thing is, is when we, we often mistake defense and athleticism, and I think in this league, you either need to be able to s- score an abnormal amount like DeMarcus Cousins will or like Carl uh, uh, Anthony Towns eventually is going to or like Dwight Howard used to when he was up above 20 points a game, or you need to just be a defensive blocking machine, a defensive rebounding machine. You need to be the Andre Drummond's, the DeAndre Jordan's, uh, Hassan Whiteside, these players. So I think we're, we're at a, a funky point in the NBA where maybe being a good – Mark Gasol's biggest brag was being a good man defender. He wasn't an athletic shot blocker. Right. He played good defense. He moved his feet. But with so many centers abandoning their offensive games, do we really need that? Also, Mark Gasol is a post-scorer. Is that relevant anymore? He can shoot the jump shot, but I mean, I get a little nervous every time I see a guy who's almost 300 pounds lining up for like an 18 footer. I'm like, eh, you know, he's going to tear an ACL <laughs> off some like non-contact thing. So, you know, I, I think he, I think he's properly ranked at this point because I don't think anybody would you know would argue he's not great. But we're just you know, for me, I need a shot blocker, a rebounder, or somebody like Boogie who I can rely on for 25 a game. So that, that's really where I'm at with these centers as a whole. And Horford took a hit because of that too. Uh, Nikola Vucevic is down there. You know, guys of that nature, Brooke Lopez, these guys who seem to be, you know, kind of stuck in an era that doesn't really apply anymore. Yeah. The only name that I kind of disagree with as somebody that watches him every week is Brooke Lopez, because I think he, one of his strengths, actually, he's not a very good man defender, but he is a good help defender. And I, I think that's the point that you're bringing up is that 
really the ideal defensive center that, that you need now is somebody that's athletic enough to get from the left side of the block to the right side of the block when, when the guard lets the guy blow by him. And I don't know if Marcus all is that guy. He's sort of the, the old school, like, Oh, I'm really tall and I'm in the middle. So you're not going to really come in my paint. And I don't, like you're saying, I don't know if that is the guy anymore. What you need is the guy like DeAndre Jordan, who is like, it doesn't matter where he is. Um, you're going to be looking for him because he's coming. Trust me. He, he'll be there. Uh, and if you're not looking for him, then you're too late. And, you know, I think that is the new sort of prototype. If I was picking a prototype for a center, I would pick DeAndre Jordan just because I think he has the size. He has the rim running. He has the athleticism. He has the defense on, you know, he's competent enough as a man-to-man defender. I would argue he's an above average man-to-man defender, but his real strength is, is that, not only it's not only about the shots that he blocks, but I would say DeAndre Jordan probably change, changes an extra five to eight shots a game because people are threatened by the fact that he might come and block, and block a shot. So I don't think Marc Gasol really has that in his arsenal. He's just one of those more, more stationary kind of guys, and I don't know if he has the athleticism to really get from one side to the other in a sufficient manner in order to, to be a, a shot-blocking threat per se. Um, on, on the basis where you really need it ideally in the NBA today. So we're saying Mark Gasol. The next time you see Mark Gasol will be on feature at the new Jurassic World, which I'm sure they're already brewing up the movie for <laughs> by like 2020 here. Dinosaur, man. I'm also, what, do you, what do you think about Mark Gasol um, instead of 71255 if a Mark Gasol 71225 came into camp? Maybe, maybe he's just got too much lumber behind him. Mark Gasol is never going to be able to be, like, quick. Like, I will give you that he's nimble, like his feet. You know, he has the good footwork. But actually trying to, like, take strides, whether it be 30 strides or five strides, he's never going to excel at that. He has, you know, like, uh, clunky legs. I think we call them cankles. Gasol's a big boy, man. <laughs> even even I mean. a skinnier Gasol, he's, he's just not – he's like, he's like a Clydesdale. Right. He he Big always bone. looks like he's struggling when he when he's moving. He always looks like there's some <laughs> sort of like you know, there there's some sort of thing holding him back. Like there's a person behind him tucking his shirt even when he's running. Uh so I mean listen, shout out to Marcus Hall. We, we 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 do love you on this show, but I'm I'm sorry, the facts are the facts. So let's move into the top five here, Andy, and, and really hammer this out here and discuss the top five because I think it really is worth discussing, especially in this position. You, you messaged me before I even made the first pick, and you said, I'm pretty sure that we're our top fives. You might have somebody in the top five that I have at number 10. And I think it, it kind of partially turned out to be true because you had somebody in the top five that I did not have in the top five. So let's just get into it. Number five, Andre Drummond. Number four, Dwight Howard. Number three, DeAndre Jordan. Number two, Carl Anthony Towns. And number one, yes, it was me that made the number one pick. I have seen the light. The Marcus Boogie Cousins, get your butt over here. I believe you are the best center in the league. So as far as maybe that's not a big deal to anybody else listening, but to Andy, he, he just must be like, like you were talking about with Al Horford, like 10 times that when, when you saw me pick Marcus Cousins number one. I mean, it was like if Frank were my boy and it was the first time he threw the football all the way across the yard. Like I'm proud, man. I mean, <laughs> You know, I, I thought that there was a universe where you were going to pick Carl Anthony Towns at number one. I, I really did for a second. And then, you oh, know, you went with Boogie. And, and, you know, and then I, you know, I came back with the 
with the old cat. But I mean, you want to talk about Dwight Howard more. Let's talk more about Dwight Howard. What what's here's my thing is seeing Dwight Howard in such a limited role, I actually I might be the only person in the world apparently who thinks that Dwight Howard had a I think he had a good season last year. I think the things he did um defensively I feel like he still has all the tools to be one of the best defensive players in the league. I mean, his, his quickness still seems to be there. I think his explosiveness has definitely died down uh, significantly the last few years, but he still seems to be able to make the, the, uh, the little athletic plays around the hoop that get him the second chances, the tips, you know, because Dwight already knows he's missing the post move. So he's there to put the ball back in quickly. And and I feel like he did look a little bit more like the old Dwight, a little less explosive, but the old Dwight last season. But I just, I feel like it got too stagnant. I think, you know, him and Harden, obviously the relationship was fractured. I think there's, you know, nobody could really argue against that at this point, but you know, I, I, I do, I do think we're going to see a different Dwight in, at home in Atlanta this season. Why don't you go nuts and, and tell me why I'm nuts? Well, the, the thing for me is you, you're talking about Dwight's sort of in a limited role. And for me, I guess we see it differently. Was Dwight in a limited role because, you know, it, it was in Houston and that's what they needed him for and, and the whole thing with, with James Harden? That's certainly one reason. Or was Dwight in a limited role because that's the role that Dwight Howard can now play in the NBA? Like, I don't know if he has another gear ready to go for for the Atlanta Hawks. I don't know if we're going to, like, look at the Atlanta Hawks and be like, oh, wow, look, it's Dwight Howard from from the first time in Houston. Or it's, it's Orlando Magic Dwight Howard. Where did this guy come from? He must have just been, you know, sulking with James Harden this whole time. I don't think he has that gear still. I think that's gone. I think it's just over. And when you're taking him over guys like um, Andre Drummond, for example, who is kind of like a Dwight Howard prototype, and that's the reason why Stan Van Gundy loves him so much, and that's the reason why Stan Van Gundy became the coach of the Detroit Pistons, because he said, oh, I had so much success in Orlando Magic with this guy named Dwight Howard. I can just take this better version of him now and plug him in, and then I'm just going to do the same thing. It's going to be fantastic. And I just think at this point in their careers, I, don't, I, I just think Andre Drummond is like a better version of, of Dwight Howard now. So I'm not saying that, that Andre Drummond is better than prime Dwight Howard. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that they're similar players, but I think that Andre Drummond has surpassed Dwight Howard. But what I want to talk about is why I picked Boogie at number one, because it was really a tough decision for me, Andy, because I was left with the center position is so talented, right? But all of these guys have such distinct flaws in their game. Well, for, for Carl Anthony Towns, I don't really know if it's a flaw as much as I just couldn't justify a guy who has had one year in the league all of a sudden being the best center in the league. Like, that was just too much of a leap for me. I haven't seen enough of him to know, like, for all I know, Carl Anthony Towns just had the best rookie year ever, and then he's going to fall off a cliff. I don't think it's going to happen, but I'm just saying it could. You know, we've, we've seen guys have great rookie years or great early in their careers, and then all of a sudden you're like, who, who was this guy because he's not him now? And then with DeAndre Jordan and, and Andre Drummond, the two other guys I was looking at as number one potentially, neither one of those guys can be in the game at the end of a game. And that's a huge problem if I'm going to call you the best center in the league. Like, if I can't trust you to be on the floor in the fourth quarter with two minutes left or with five minutes left and we're over the limit because people are going to foul you, and I know they changed the rule, but still think people are going to find creative ways to get around it, for one. And just I think it's the general principle of it because even if you touch the ball in the post and people are then able to foul you, so you're not as useful as you should be late in games because of your limitations at the free throw line. So even if you can be on the floor, 
you're not going to be 100% Andre Drummond because we're not throwing you the ball in the post because I know as soon as that happens, people are just going to bear hug you. You know what I mean? So, unfortunately for me, I had to take Boogie. And, I mean, I, I, I'm not, like, thrilled about it just because I find, a, I find it hard to believe the best center in the league um, has not made the playoffs in the six seasons that he's been in the league, considering I've seen Allen Iverson carry somebody to an NBA Finals. But there, there I was with Boogie. I mean, I, I think the Iverson thing is, is for a different time. But, I mean, Boogie, you know, the thing about Boogie is is it's not very often that we get a center that has a skill set like Boogie's because not only is he a center, but he's a guy that's like 275 pounds. And he just does things that we, you know, you don't see from a, a guy that size and you don't expect to see from a guy that size. And he fills it up. I mean, how, how often do you, does your center get you 27 points a game? I mean, it just doesn't happen, especially in today's league. And I think that's, you know, something we all see. And we saw him with Team USA over the summer, too. He kind of seemed like he was maybe matured a little bit. And I know getting the reps with these guys helps him. But then I look at Boogie's page here on ESPN, and he has the worst, like, I'm going to get 26 T's this year smirk I've ever seen <laughs> on his face, ever. Like, his, his profile picture is cocky. And I, I just I don't know what to do with this guy sometimes. But – Hell, Boogie, you are the man. You win the list. Boogie, you are number one in, in the eyes of everybody in, in the panel. So you have you have been promoted to the number one center. I would like you to see become at least a below average defensive center. If you could do that for me, that would be great. So that is the end of our show. We will join us next week as we continue our journey around the NBA. Uh, follow the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash NLP pod. That's N like Nancy Kerrigan, L like Len Bias. P like Phyllis, Phyllis Crumpet. Uh, follow, or follow us on Twitter at NLP Podcast. We will close as we always do with the great philosopher Jason White Chocolate Williams, who once probably thought basketball is a lot like last call at the bar. Sometimes it's better to pass without looking. And with that, we bid you good night.